This is Burn This Book, a banned books book club where we, Nicole and Eden, read a banned or challenged book twice a month and discuss its meaning, impact, and censorship to make it more accessible for all readers. This week's book is Looking for Alaska by John Green, which was published in 2005. And joining us today is Theodore Wilkins calling in from New York City. Theodore, could you tell us about yourself and your connection to this book? Yeah, absolutely. Um, hi, I'm Theodore. I'm a, yeah, a writer in New York. This book holds a very special place in my heart uh, for very cringy reasons. It was a book that I picked up accidentally when I was 12 years old in middle school. Yeah, it was just one of those things where it just hit at exactly the right time. John Green in particular has kind of crept around in my life kind of ever since. He's, he's always been kind of in the periphery, whether it be in his uh, literature I read all the way through out kind of high school and all the way to like work he does now on kind of virtual online stuff. Um, he kind of seems to kind of kind of seems to be seeping around everywhere. So I was excited to I was excited to be on the pod for this book in particular. So thank you. Uh, before we dive in too much, um, do you want to who, who wants to give a little recap of the book? So the book is about this boy named Miles Halter. I think his last name is Miles. He is like really into the la- the famous last words of people. So like right before someone dies, he's like obsessed with memorizing what they've said. So he has like a whole collection. His parents um, are like pretty supportive and lovely. He doesn't have a lot of friends. He's kind of an outsider. And so he convinces his parents to go to boarding school and specifically a boarding school in, in Alabama that his dad had gone to. He goes to the boarding school and his whole life changes because there he meets a ragtag gang of fun people. He falls in love with this girl named Alaska. It's quite a coming of age story where he really discovers who he is. He talks a lot about grief and death, um, just a lot about growing up in adolescence and what intimacy actually is and friendship and all of those things. What more is there? You guys might have ideas. Buffritos. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Nasty cafeteria food from Florida. And just full disclosure, none of us are from the South here in this trio, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because you're from the West. (laughs) I'm from Arizona. I don't don't remember. I've been gone long enough. Um... Haunt the streets, the four eight oh we called. Yeah. Yeah. You had your own what was it brief brief fritos or whatever? Yeah, yeah, no for sure. Well in, in, oh, in Arizona the big one is uh what is it? Like a carne asada fries is probably the nasty high school food I ate a lot of. I mean nasty was delicious. Amazing. I mean it's a carne asada. Yeah, that does sound great. Yeah. <laughs> like everybody has that like idealized version of a food that they just simply cannot eat anymore without feeling terrible for a week. Um yeah. that you loved when you were fifteen, sixteen, whatever. Mm-hmm. I can't that eat this like anymore. A burrito, right? Like, isn't it a chimichanga burrito? Is that what it is? That's what I thought it was. And I was like, John Green, this is my biggest <laughs> issue with the book. <laughs> John Green, call a chimichanga a chimichanga. Call a spade a spade. What, yeah. What's going on? Why are you making up new food? Um, <laughs> that makes more sense now. I was like trying to imagine. It's like, but. I don't know what that what I'm thinking about right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's an uncomfortable word to say as well. I didn't for so long. It was like burrito, burrito. 
Like uh-huh. we can. <laughs> oh, we're spending maybe too much time on this. <laughs> but... Another content explanation mm-hmm. um, is that that's the main food at the the cafeteria in the boarding school, and they all love it. And it's like a part of their youth culture is making it for Befrito Day. And it's so, it sounds so gross. They save their Befritos. There's a lot of Befrito <laughs> talk in this book. <laughs> We've only scratched the surface. Uh-huh. Um, so let's first talk, um, if it's okay, about the different themes of the book and um, and just like what we got from it. So an important part is like, okay, let's just talk about Alaska. So this is where I found issue. And maybe you can help us, Theodore. Because um, Eden and I disclosed that we both did not like this book. It was kind of a slog for us. For Granted, me, we're also not the target audience. <laughs> Gra- that's true. We're not yeah. young adults. We're not young adults. Yeah, We're old adults now. We and, are. Um, <laughs> we're approaching middle age. My goodness. So Alaska. My issue with Alaska was I was like, John Green, have you ever met a teenage girl? That was my problem, was that it felt she felt too manic pixie dream girl for me. And it was almost like it she was so it was she wasn't annoying, but the way the way that she was written was so annoying to me. Where also I was like, Do you know about depression? It felt like she was written really quickly just to serve as a device plot, which is fine. But he claimed like but the way that it's people talk about it was like, no, Alaska was so real for me. So I just had a, a lot of issues with that where I just couldn't get through. And the nicknames like the, like Pudge and, um, and <laughs> Pudge so, and the Colonel. Yeah. Miles gets a nickname called Pudge cause he's so skinny. So it's like ironic. And, um, he moves in with this guy named the Colonel who's who grew up in a lot of poverty and he, he's got like a Southern accent. He's like, so really supposed to be quite a Southern archetype. Um, and he's his roommate and he's very loving and great, but they only call him the Colonel. And it's just like very serious on the nicknames. So the Alaska bit was like, I think my hardest part, I think if she had been written differently, I would have liked it more. I don't know. What was your, when you first read the book, how did you feel about Alaska? Like, did you feel any of those things or was it just like, eh? cause I don't know why you yeah. need to be dissecting her the way I did. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, I think it's, Worth noting, too, that, like, the term, you know, manic pixie dream girl comes from um, a critic named Nathan Rabin or Robin. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Yeah. Um, about a film that came out the same year that this book was published. What? And, like, yeah. So, so, so manic pixie dream girl um, comes from Cameron Crowe's Elizabeth Town. 2005 yes. i think yeah and then i'm uh yeah like this the, the the term gets coined a couple years later and you know it's um very much so like john green is writing about an archetype that doesn't exist for him yet but like he's creating in in, in real time i i totally agree hmm. that you know and like alaska fits a certain archetype and is is a device um within 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 the piece like you know i i, I think even though she you know tries to be this subversive, you know, strong feminist, you know, within the text, it's like, it doesn't, it's, it's, it's not okay in the sense that it's like only used to foil the boys and what the boys already think of her. You know, I don't think Alaska is a, um, a perfect character. 
and on that note, I just I really feel that the age of this book kind of creeping as I was reading it. It's like, wow, yeah. this is you know, this this already is almost, you know, twenty years old and it and it reads like it and it has characters that kind of feel like it. Um Yeah, that's so but, true. Two thousand five. Yeah. That puts it into perspective for sure. That does. Why didn't I put that in? Like that it came out the same like a year after the OC. Everything in my life is marked before the OC <laughs> to after the OC, you know, the TV show. Oh, yeah, so, <laughs> okay. So, yeah, 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 yeah. The OC came out in 2004. So this is 2005. So yeah. So I guess, mm-hmm. I guess when I put it in that perspective, yeah. Yeah. Cause he's also kind yeah. of a, an Adam Brody character to a Seth mm-hmm. Cohen. Mm, I see that. Yeah. Thank you for recontextualizing that in the in terms of the <laughs> OC. In terms of a language we understand. Well, they call it like they jokingly call it millennial math because for some reason what like looking at the 2005s, we're like, oh, that wasn't that long ago. But actually, as Theodore pointed out, it's almost 20 years ago. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's crazy. It's totally insane. And like, um, like, like, I don't know, I found it too, like, I mean, it, it's all very colored, of course. I think this is one of the bigger questions of the book. Maybe, maybe it has a lot to do with Alaska, too. It's like, how do we, you know, deal with this, un, I don't want to call him an unreliable narrator, right? But this is a teenage boy's voice through mm-hmm. and through and through and through dealing with the teenage boy problems and feeling teenage boy feelings about this girl. Um, and I think that, you know, his inability to, I think, fully see Alaska's, uh, humanity and like kind of her image and self beyond the, you know, femaleness Mm -hmm. of her (laughs) is, is both problematic of his perspective and then, yes, we can say it is a problematic aspect of the book, though, as well. I think there are much better characterizations. Um, I buy every critique of Alaska, essentially, yeah. and how it should be uh-huh. written. <laughs> Even if I think it can also be like, I can see why I liked it and identified with it when I was 12. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think that when you're 12, at least like I, I was, I think I had very simplistic understandings of how romance worked and 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 patriarchal understandings of how romance worked and how i operate or should operate in you know situations uh relationships whatever may be well it makes Mm -hmm. me think like i saw garden state around that same time and that movie she's very manic pixie dream girl energy for sure natalie portman in that movie and but still but for like freshman year of high school nicole i was like i'm gonna be her you know mm. so like we still like it, it captures that that immature understanding of of self of like gender dynamics and just like what you were talking about theodore i love that you brought up the feminism bit though so alaska she'll like she'll have like a snarky remark back to the guys the old gang mm-hmm. and it always have like a feminist twist to it and you can feel the guys just kind of like rolling their eyes about it like it's just like this funny part of her um, and I was always like, what, what is John Green's point? Is he trying to create multidimensionality with her? Is he trying to make her an intellectual? Like, why is he trying to do that? And I don't know if it's important for us to understand why he, he added that to her, but I did think that the reaction was funny because like, um, 
I don't know. I lived in the South for only eight months in Louisiana. And yeah, feminism is, is a joke to a lot of the people I was friends with. So I think that reaction is very real. And I think, especially in 2005, when people, mm-hmm. when girls would talk about feminism, I feel like if you're really hot, you got, got away with it. Um, and Alaska was a, a hot feminist gal, so she got away with it. So I think like in the lens of 2005, it all makes so much more sense. You just healed. <laughs> you just healed me. And like the nicknames. Mm-hmm. Do you guys mind if we if we talk about one of the big plot points of the book? Oh, yeah. 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 Um, so in the book, uh, Alaska ends up dying in a car accident. It is contested that it might have been a suicide or it may have been an accident because she was drunk or but like no one can really figure out what exactly happened. And so the last bit of the book is Miles and all of his friends mourning the loss of their friend and trying to figure out how to cope with it. And also you see a lot of their egos getting involved where Mm -hmm. everyone feels like they loved Alaska. So they deserve to be mourning more. Um, Mm -hmm. I thought that was so well done because miles made her death all about him Mm -hmm. more than about her. And I thought that was so high school, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and Mm -hmm. everyone did. And the Colonel was the only one who was mature enough to be like, no, we're all sad. You need to, to chill out and also miles held on to this idea that he was possibly going to have a sexual experience with alaska and he that's like how he justified his closeness with her which is a false intimacy you know so Mm -hmm. miles says this like yeah so john green did this really excellent idea of just showing ego (laughs) complicated Mm -hmm. physical intimacy and mourning all in the same little bucket of confusion and it was just like it was really well done and I was just so frustrated the whole time (laughs) miles you suck you just need to sit and chill and let and be a friend to your friends who've known her way longer than you I was so frustrated but I thought that was well done in every way that part Mm -hmm. yeah no totally and like kind of on that you know on that train of thought like this what I thought was probably the most brilliant part about the book, rereading it, kind of, you know, dissecting the text, was seeing how kind of sex and sexuality develops in tandem with kind of a mature understanding of death. Like, Miles does this thing where he's always objectifying constantly. There's throughout mm-hmm. the, I mean, I wrote in, in the book every instance <laughs> where there was physical objectification. I put PO next to it. And <laughs> like the beginning and in, in the before, in the before section, you have this, you have two things. You have a really immaterial understanding of death. He only views death through this lens of last words and kind of through this um, imaginary kind of speculative lens almost because he he in a, in a way that obsession is almost fictionalizing the immediacy of what's about to come and it's through the body um that pudge kind of starts to understand like the intensity and the, and the seriousness of life itself you know um so his you know gripes with alaska dying or like his intense scenes with alaska dying they all have to do with, you know, the, the blood, you know, that's, 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 that's running down her, 
her nose and 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 you know there's this scene where he's dreaming and 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 alaska comes back naked and and starts you know falling on him but then she she's like dying on him and there's this there's this weird tension where like you know the sex is almost vital to this book it's been so important to this book because it's what makes miles i think come to his conclusions about like the you know, again like like the importance of life um and i, I just i really really thought that was very clever and maybe yeah. something that um i mean it's the reason why i think this book gets banned so frequently is probably having to do with that sex but to me it's like the most important aspect of like getting his point across which is like that you know we live yeah like life happens and then we die you know yeah the intersection of yeah the whole everything about the body and his objectification and I would even argue at the beginning until the very end, he acts very, he's like, if we're going to use the manic pixie dream girl archetype, let's use the, like the, the other version of it, which was a term coined in the book, the two thousands made me gay, um, is the, Oh no, Eden, what is it? The, the chatter boy, the, Oh yeah. Like the Seth Cohen's. Yes. It's always about the OC. <laughs> Um, he's got a lot to say and he fixates on these like very romanticized and fantastical things about history and life and he knows all the facts he's got to memorize and he'll share them and and he has like he's got a, a hot take for everything like at the beginning of the book he had his mom threw him a party before he left for his boarding school and he has all these hot takes about like the the thespian couple that comes to the party <laughs> he is the most judgy boy in the world where he's like uh-huh. i'm gonna be dead than have them in my house and it's like oh my gosh they he's, were he's doing a total holden caulfield yeah <laughs> yes totally and he's just like nothing is good enough for him but um and then you see i mean his ego asks, is met. he asks to be sent to boarding school because he's like, I'm not getting enough out of life, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and he's looking, what was this phrase? He's looking for the great, un, the great not the great unknown, the great perhaps? Yep, the great perhaps. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I do think that, like, going back to that uh, Elizabethtown vibe, I really think Miles views himself as in that universe of these, like, really mm-hmm. extraordinary youths who just yeah. deserve the world and who are giving so much, just yeah. so much. I found it. It's Banter Boy. A Banter Boy. Banter Boy. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's Chatter Boy, Banter Boy. Like those are pretty similar, actually. Yeah, the Banter um, Boy. Banter Boy. Yeah, yeah, like Jim from The Office is considered a Banter Boy because he's always got boy. something good to say. He's always looking for huh. something outside of himself to, yeah. to fulfill himself. He like mm-hmm. is aware yeah. that his space in it right now is not enough. He's he's better than where mm-hmm. he is. And mm-hmm. um, I think Miles is definitely an example of the Banter Boy. Whereas the Colonel is like so grateful to be where he is mm-hmm. at the boarding school, what he's doing, aware that his friends are his friends. He's got boundaries with them. Yeah. Well, he Whereas, also comes from poverty too. I think like Miles definitely is coming from a place of privilege. Yeah. I mean, the fact that his mm-hmm. parents are like, "Okay, yeah, we'll send you to boarding school." <laughs> yeah. 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 One hundred percent. He's somebody who doesn't know the the severity of his own life. You know, like mm-hmm. he he sees himself as a fictional character within his own existence, and I, I think that yeah. that continues all the way through until maybe he starts to finally process 
what death actually is. Um, yeah. Maybe we don't even, maybe he doesn't even get there entirely, you know, by, by the end of the novel. Um, mm-hmm. I, I do, I think that, uh, yeah, I, I think that, I think it's a great observation though. Like Miles is, is a pretty, he, he's not totally aware of himself. Um, as, uh, and, and again, like I think as a lot of teenagers are not, yeah, and as yeah. we all are not, you know, yeah, maybe this is the thing that, you know, we get the perspective of this person who I don't think we're supposed to like very much. Um, and that's and that's honestly why I make the Holden Caulfield. I, I think I know. Well, actually, I know Catcher in yeah. Rye is like John Green's, like one of his favorite books of all time. And it just it reads yeah. mm-hmm. so much in this in this novel. And Perks of Being a Wallflower. While I was reading mm-hmm. it, I was like, "This is very Perks of Being a Wallflower." Because have you read that, Theodore? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So Sam, the um, still eating up. Sam, the Emma Watson. Of the book. The Emma Watson of the book. <laughs> when we were talking about that book, Eden just kept, I just bringing, kept up on bringing up the, the actors, movie. and I so was I'm like, like, "No, so Paul Eden. Red and like, <laughs> no, Eden. Yeah, when Logan Lerman was going through, um, but Sam, a better book if they were actually like the actors. Yeah, <laughs> if they were just randomly named. Yeah, <laughs> Emma Watson. Um, I can't even think of anyone else, but Sam is very much the Alaska of this situation. And it's very mm-hmm. much like that same idea of Miles being dropped into this really tight friend group who have their own culture and their own way of interacting. And then Sam's brother, I don't remember his name from the book. But Ezra Miller. <laughs> Ezra Miller. is. Um, it's definitely like the kernel where there's troubles and stuff like that, but they also give like the outside perspective and that like grounding experience for the protagonist. So I was, and that book is also highly influenced by Catcher on the Rye. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it is fun to see these different like iterations. Iterations, like, thank you. Yeah. Of Catcher on the Rye. What did you guys think about how it was written? Like the chapters leading up are like 15 days before to her death. Mm-hmm. And then after her death, it's like 12 days after. Like, how did you guys mm-hmm. feel about that? Did you like that anticipation, that forced anticipation of something about to happen? Or did you, yeah, tell me. Because a lot of people are very critical about that from what I read mm. on the internet. A lot of people were like really annoyed, but other people were like, that was brilliant. So there's just a lot of chit chat about how that was written. I, I thought I thought that like the times uh, he does a few different things repeatedly I think kind of with the structure of the novel first thing being um the time of course which I, I thought was okay in a in a book where actually I, I, you know dates have a pretty important kind of meaning and and the passing of time has a pretty important meaning in the context of being in a school like the breaks are very important yeah you know, I think it's like January 10th is when the mom dies like all this kind of stuff yeah so I thought, I thought it was okay um you know, and it also does this thing where, um, you know, Pudge does a lot of list making, which I thought is very much so in like, yeah. the, I don't know, tradition of like other American novelists and, and kind of like points to, you know, I think Pudge's own kind of fictionalizing of himself and, and, and this and this, you know, kind of way of portraying and seeing his own life in a, uh, in a, in a weird way. But it's, 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 it's. You know, I thought it was kind of, I thought it was pretty good in that regard, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. It is, you you could definitely see this book um, being without the time stamping and it would be perfectly fine. I, I found it kind of frustrating though, if nothing else, like in the after section, things kind of fall off for me, kind of 
narratively, I, I, I feel like there's too much kind of of the same thing going on and on yeah. and on. There's very few kind of moments of true release, I think. Yeah. Um, one of them being when he's, you know, in the in the forest and he's freaking out. And then what I thought was, you know, yeah. probably the best part is when they kind of drive through the same place that Alaska died. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I, I, you know, I kind of, I, I didn't really care so much about finding out why Alaska died in the ways that, well, for the reason Miles lists and, you know, tells yeah, us yeah. why he cares so much about it. Um, well, it felt like it was yeah. impossible to find out why. So it was yeah. like kind of, it felt, and maybe that was adult brain reading it, being like, this is futile. Uh -huh. You just need to learn how to cope with it. Maybe yeah. the high school Nicole would have been like, yeah, you need to figure, like, this is a mystery we can solve. This is us being productive. Mm -hmm. I don't, I wish mm -hmm. I'd read this in high school so I could step back into that. But no, mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah. I felt like the writing got, uh, I felt like John Green knew what he wanted, but there was, yeah, the, the tension just remained. Like there was no mm -hmm. release the way you described. Like at least in part perks, mm -hmm. Charlie goes to the hospital, gets help, and there's a lot of peace. And Charlie has all these realizations and is just very aware of like, this is something I want to do with my whole life. But I know that it's complicated. Mm -hmm. People love me, and I love people, and it's that. But like, I didn't really feel like we got that kind of come to Jesus moment. Do you think that <laughs> was, was intentional though to like highlight the grief that the like these high schoolers are going through, like there is no closure for them because they don't know what happened. Um, and so they are kind of just like spinning in circles and like, what the heck? Like, could I have prevented this? Like, maybe I should have done this. Maybe I should have done that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It seems, it seems like that, that is definitely a part of it. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't make it, I mean, and, 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 and maybe, it, yeah, maybe I should be looking this more of a strength like that is part of the reading is that there's kind of no finding out why death and how death, um, you know, it is a very frustrating experience what they're going through. I imagine yeah. I, 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 there's, there, there's not really good ways to write a narrative, <laughs> like a, mm -hmm. a narr like a clean, you know, narrative line, you know, being good with it and, you know, not because they being good. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Yeah, like the grieving that we do in high school, it never. I don't know. I think those those moments really impacted because it was like the first time you had to 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 challenge the idea that life is hopeless. You had to like actually figure out a way to keep moving forward in the drear of high school, even after your friend died. Um, mm -hmm. And he does a good job of explaining it. It just never goes away. But it did feel, I did still feel like I could have used a little bit more, like, I don't know, even some friendship with, like, a little bit more closure on his friendship with, like, the Colonel or Takumi um, or, like, anyone. Just, like, a little bit more <laughs> of him being, like, I don't know. I just felt like it was unfinished for me. I was like, okay, we it, just. It's left. a short book. You could imagine yeah. it being fleshed out a yeah. lot more, you know. Yeah. And actually, on that on that note, I I kind of feel like the ending specifically. Like I find it happened all very quickly. Him coming to this kind of forgiveness, you know, yes. essay. What he what he gets to. Yeah, it could have gone for a lot longer, you know. Um, both both the before and the after, to be frank, as well. Like I. Yes. You know. <laughs> And I'm actually, I'm curious about that. How do you like his explanation of ending, you know, getting out of the labyrinth of, 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 of suffering? Like, what is, is that, is that good? Do we, do we vibe with it? <laughs> is, is forgiveness and, you know, uh, I don't know. I, 
Yeah, I don't know. Like, honestly, for me, it just felt unfinished. And maybe it, it was as good as it can be for someone who is banter boy-esque. Maybe him just coming to that, to all those like thoughts and being able to see last words as being not being like a fun hobby and as being like a reality check and a harsh one. And mm-hmm. maybe that was all that he was capable of emotionally. I don't know. Let me keep thinking. What do you think? Um, How did you feel about the ending? I think I was also caught up in Alaska, but he did write this when he was 28 and it was his first book. Mm-hmm. So it could just be a, a, an error of <laughs> first first novel, just like, I don't know how to end this. I'll end it here, <laughs> you know. Um, but this I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's, I think this was his first yes, book. I did all the yeah, wrong research. Book I, know, yeah. I know it was based off of true events because he himself was quite the miles and mm-hmm. begged his parents to go to boarding school and he went to boarding school. But it was in Alabama. That's where I got confused. Sorry, this book is in Florida. But he went to school in Alabama. And a lot of these experiences with the colonel and all the pranks are from his his experience in boarding school. And that helped me be like, oh, that this is realistic. Because before I was like, yeah, oh, these no, pranks. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. No, some, this one's are really funny. Like the Max one had me <laughs> like genuinely laughing. Which one was the um, Max one? Where they bring in the fake doctor on teenage oh, sexuality oh yeah remember. that was that was pretty good <laughs> that was really good that was really good um and the one the thing that got me too was like would his dad have agreed to do that but yeah I, that's know, so silly right but also mm-hmm. the dad may have because he went to that boarding school and i guess prank culture is a big part of that boarding school yeah <laughs> that's what it seems like because the dad was very proud of his pranks um yeah. oh my gosh okay well, these are like so- the old teenagers like when you think about like what a teenager like teenage life and like the teenage ideal like this is everything you know that has been marketed about what is you know the rebellious young Mm -hmm. young adult um did your high schools have we had senior pranks did your high schools have senior pranks yeah kind of pranks I like took all the paper that was in the recycling bin, the big old recycling bin. I shredded it for like seven hours and covered the entire cafeteria in snow. That's incredible. It was, you, it was, you were it was my you one the... man job. Oh my gosh, you're so dedicated. I was, yeah, I was a little, uh, a little obsessed with that night. Yeah, we like, like people talk about the legendary senior pranks at my high school. Like they, they brought three pigs i don't know where they got the pigs from oh wow they brought three pigs and numbered them one two and four which is pretty oh, clever that is like such a 1930s is- prank honestly <laughs> <laughs> like true we did yeah. a cu- and then my okay so the class before me they all rollerbladed or scootered like razor scootered to school Causing oh. like massive traffic jams <laughs> because they were going so slow. <laughs> wow. And then my class, yeah, Connecticut. My class, we just did like, someone got like cooking oil and poured it down the stairs. So, like, one staircase was just out of commission. Oh, that's sad. Yeah, that was, you know, that one sounds pretty sad. It's like, oh, we're the messiest one. Like, <laughs> no. It's a smelly hallway. Oh sure. Yeah. 
I feel like my school was so too lazy. In the past, there were a ton of senior pranks, but people got in really big trouble. I don't know. It was, there's like, uh, yeah, we didn't really do it um, to the extent. Like, I just feel like all those kids would have been expelled immediately. Um, uh, we did get one little detail mixed up. So oh, go ahead. It's from, the the high school was in Alabama. He oh, came it was from in Florida. Alabama. Yeah, he oh, came he from came Florida. From Florida, okay. Oh, uh, okay. Well then, I've been right this whole time, guys. I am a master <laughs> of looking for Alaska. Yeah, we know, we know you love this book. I love <laughs> you can't, you can't hide it. It's my favorite book. No. Um, honestly, though, this conversation is helping me like it a lot more. Though, I, like, I really do see, like, oh, okay, this this checks out. This is dope. Yeah. It's, it's simply a flaw. It's 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 a flawed novel. There's lots of like things to you know dig on, and I think that that's what kind of sucks about John Green is that I you know. He gets he gets a bit of an unfair rap, I think. Like his books aren't these awful things that you know are completely objectifying uh, women and you know making teenagers you know seem yeah. this I don't know like like you know what I mean. It's part of it, you know. But there's also yeah. I think lots of really really great things in this book. There's something I, I picked up on immediately, for example. Like he doesn't keep kids dumb, which I really like. No. And yeah. because when you're a kid reading something. Um, you, you, you want to, you want to feel like these teenagers, you know what I mean? And like, I, 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 I appreciate like that aspect. I appreciate that aspect of when I think when yeah. I was a kid and I liked it yeah. now as well. Thinking like, yeah, I, I want to like make teenagers have a, like real feelings, you know, make them actually yeah. feel seen. Um, and I, yeah, I, I, I thought, I thought that was really good. Doing research for this uh, episode, I I came to appreciate John Green because I think I was one of the people who like gave him a bad rap. Granted, I've only read The Fault in Our Stars and now this one. Um, but uh, a lot of people credit him, and like he he's kind of more humble about it. He's like, I don't think I'm responsible for like kicking off like a, a new era of literature for young adults. Um, but the New York Times, Wall Street Journal credit him with ushering a new golden era for contemporary, realistic literary teen fiction following more than a decade of dominance by books about young wizards, sparkly vampires, and dystopia. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, true. That sounds that's about pretty right. accurate. Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. This yeah, is like a real in, story. Yeah. Yeah. Even when Theodore was talking about how he makes teenagers smart. That mm-hmm. made me realize, I was like, okay, in what other books are teenagers smart? And it's always fantasy books. That's mm-hmm. when they were like, you know, they're kicking up that loot. They can play it all. They are <laughs> not doing all the all the magic. And they're so smart. They're the smartest. But it is true. And I wonder when we dumb down teenagers in, in literature, um, in terms of like realistic fiction, if that was like since like the father knows best stuff. Um, like as long as then, or and if, if that's why J.D. Salinger is such a big deal, because he also mm-hmm. made teenagers very smart. Every one of his books, teenagers are brilliant. Um, I so I'm curious. I want to know when that when that shifted, because even Alaska, when she was like teaching everyone else, um, was it geometry or chemistry or, or trigonometry, something. Mm-hmm. Something smart that I was never good at, but it wasn't unrealistic for her to be a really smart, whatever mm-hmm. math whiz or biology whiz she was. Because mm-hmm. we all had friends who were who really got that stuff. Mm-hmm. And like, 
you know, whether it was ourselves or other people. But I thought, I did think he wrote their intelligence and their level of communication, what they're going to talk about really, really well. Um, Mm -hmm. The thing that was a little hard for me was when um, he was, when Miles, when Pudge was with, oh, what was his girlfriend's name? Laura. Laura, Laura, and they were going to like have their first sexual experience and they didn't know what to do. So they went and asked um, Alaska what to do. And then they returned. I had a hard time with that because I feel like Pudge's ego was too big to go ask Alaska for directions on that situation. I, mm-hmm. that was my issue was it didn't fit with the character for me. It was almost mm-hmm. too guileless that I was like, this would be really sweet if this was like, if this fit. But to me, it felt like his ego was way too large, like, mm-hmm. and him, him posturing as a viable partner for Alaska was too big of a deal that I had a hard yeah. time imagining that being a, a real scenario of him asking Alaska for like tips mid experience I'm not getting yeah. too graphic because i don't know how old the people are that listen to this but yeah oh yeah I, I read that as a kind of a subconscious you know transferal of sexual energy oh. like he's you know going to alaska he wants you know, her in alaska is demonstrating yeah. what's going on yeah. um and and to me that's that was very indicative of a of a you know sexual tension that they yeah. had hence i think why alaska also laughed so hysterically and that being mentioned it leads up i think to the point where they actually end up making yeah. out and, and it, it kind of energy is released um i do i do like that read though as well that like what like it does seem kind of incorrect and false and awkward um, mm-hmm. And I think that is one of the things John Green wanted to get across with the sex scene and why I think it's so yeah. you know absurd that so many people find this book to be like pornographic when it just is very oh obviously gosh. anything. Yeah. But this is like a funny, silly, but also yeah. like pushes the narrative into a certain, I think, yeah. direction and place. But yeah, I, I, I will say that this isn't something that I noticed. As, as, a, as a kid, of course, I actually remember reading that scene in, yeah. in class and I was mortified. <laughs> oh my gosh, I was so, I like set down the book and I was like, oh, I felt like so bad. I was like, what's going on? Like, it was terrible. But um, yeah, like, uh, you know, I, as, as, as an adult now, though, I, I think that I see certain motivations that maybe yeah. Pudge isn't even fully aware of. I think you're right. I think yeah. it was about his connection to Alaska and finding a way to talk about it. It's just hard for me to imagine an awkward boy asking a hot yeah. girl, like, uh, like very transparently showing that like you're inexperienced to this hot girl that you're always trying to impress. And, it, you know, mm-hmm. that was like where I was like, okay. But, um, but I love, I love your interpretation of that. I think that is, it was a good device. It was a good device to show there is, there is tension. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, on your note though, to respond to that statement, uh, John Green posted on YouTube and we can, we'll link it where he gives like this four minute like spiel about him not being a pornographer. And the video is a delight because people called him that because of this book. So he responds to it directly and it's great. And he talks about how, you know, that scene was used to explain how awkward these coming of age moments are and how tricky they are and how, um, how complicated they are and how we're talking about intimacy, but Miles didn't really understand int- intimacy, emotional intimacy. 
at all. I think John Green is like every defense he's ever made in in response to this book has been spot on because I mean <laughs> it goes into I think teenage intelligence as well. Yeah. You know, like he makes yeah. teenagers like actually feel like genuine people and they behave in this way. I mean, it's just it's it's so frustrating that you know, um, the response to you know wanting appropriate kind of narratives about sex and you know people for people to have healthy relationships with sex is to just cut it out entirely we just won't talk about it it just shouldn't be in books anybody who talks about it is is a pornographer i mean it, it speaks to i think other people's own repressive kind of minds and behaviors and understandings of of themselves and others um yeah because it's 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 just it's just absurd to me uh, this is it's it, and yeah it's one of the achievements of this book again i think is is relating that sexual encounter to, to much in physicality and bodies to a much higher attainment of you know enlightenment as miles calls it or as teacher calls it whatever later goes on in the book yeah. like it, it's it's yeah it's a vital experience for yeah. everybody not just miles it's vital for the teenagers who read it you know what i mean i do think this book requires literacy that i don't know if a lot of the adults who are reading it alongside their child have necessarily and i don't mean that to like slam adults like uh parents and boomer culture because it would have been boomer parents at that time when this book came out initially but um but we do know that literacy rates are really low in our country a lot of people just have not been taught how to critically think or how to read a book that talks about all of these different issues and so i do think people are very afraid of it and very afraid that this is going to encourage their kids to just go just go buck wild um, with no safety, no protection, you know? And uh, yeah, and I, I don't know how to fix that. I don't know what we do to help people, help parents and help people understand that having these conversations doesn't mean that it's going to push their kids to do things. It's just education. You know, I don't, I don't know if yeah. anyone has an answer to that. I think it starts by having the read that Miles is not a good guy like we shouldn't want to identify with him and what he yes. does you know like and i think that that is the misreading that a lot of teenagers have oh, is okay. you know they yeah. read into the miles character they read into the alaska character as this you know again like the ideal teenager like i want to be friends with these people i like these people and while i think yeah. they're very relatable you know when, when you're when you're when you're a kid i think the appropriate way to read this is is to understand the shortcomings of miles thinking and the kind yeah. of ways that he interprets his own world um, so I, I, yeah, you're right. This, this is a guided reading kind of on, on two ends. You know yeah. What I, mean? yeah. Uh, I think, I think teens need to be directed as, as, as well. You know, yeah. I think about what the book did to me when I was a kid, you know? Yeah. I, yeah. I think if I'd read it in high school, I would have been like, yeah, I want to be Alaska. I want to be my, I want to be Pudge. Um, I wanted to be Natalie Portman. I wanted to be Margot Tenenbaum, you know, like these are, but these are not characters that are totally healthy. These are not people leading mm -hmm. healthy Fulfilled life, you know, Margot's in love with her brother. Um, Natalie Portman is simply just this device for Zach. She's Brown. not a real person. She's not even a person, really. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, so it is interesting. Like, I do think a lot of us, 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 teens, <laughs> us teenagers, I think a lot of us. Millennial really, math. We're yeah. still teenagers. <laughs> we do trade in a healthy, fulfilling self. For this, like, on the surface, romantic, um, but very fun and very desirable character. I think a lot of us saw that. And 
Ugh, the music didn't help. The music time, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because uh, yeah, because I mean, those are the people that are getting stuff done. They were getting results, mm-hmm. whereas the healthy people, we weren't writing about them. I mm-hmm. love a book about a healthy teenager. Emotionally it's like healthy. <laughs> yeah, three pages long. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like then they graduated yeah. high school and they had great friends and they remained in yeah. contact with them. They knew how to build community with boundaries. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I recently started following this one uh, Instagram profile called Those Media Moms, and they they have PhDs on specifically about screen screen time for kids. But they just put something out called Dialogic Questioning, and they talked about what that looks like because uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends that parents use media with their kids, and I would argue. Literature is media too for kids. And so dialogic questioning is an educational technique that was developed for reading and has been adapted to screen media. And it's just asking questions like who, what, when, where, why? Like, mm-hmm. um, and it could be a discussion with your kids like, oh, like, <laughs> like we're watching Charlie Brown with, with my three-year-old. And she started picking up the word stupid. And I'm like, oh, no. So like (laughs) every now and then, every time we hear like Lucy saying something really or anyone saying anything terrible about Charlie Brown, Mm -hmm. because everyone has something terrible to say about Charlie Brown. Poor kid. Well, he wasn't. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) He was cooler. (laughs) Lucy in the chat. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, it's just like, oh. Uh, well, just like shout from the other side of the room. It's like, oh, that doesn't sound very nice. Do you think that yeah. made Charlie Brown feel good? You know, mm. just yeah. just to to help Mabel think about, oh, those aren't nice words. My mom and dad are saying these aren't <laughs> nice things. Yeah. A shout out to that one Instagram profile because I think they're doing good work in that of just like trying to bring in how to be media literate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. And those are questions yeah. we should be asking ourselves as adults. Yeah. You know? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's something that doesn't stop with kids. Uh, yeah. I definitely like, uh, you know, it's important, important to always kind of have those uh, framing questions in yeah. your mind. I think it's very easy to fall into the, you know, romantics of a of prose or, you know, the, yeah. the, of, of, a, of, a, of a character or of a certain situation. And, and yeah, you know, I, I think it's a, uh, you end up becoming a lot more aware of kind of what yeah. you're engaging with when you can, you know, analyze it critically. Yeah, I think that's great. Mm-hmm. Maybe we wouldn't have Tyler Durden as a hero for a lot of people <laughs> from Fight Club. <laughs> people are asking those questions. Maybe they wouldn't see him as who he should be instead <laughs> as he is actually the villain. I also listened to a This American Life episode where um, I just forgot her name, Molly Ringwald. From mm. uh, the John, John Hughes, Hughes John Hughes fame, but she sits down and watches The Breakfast Club with her daughter. Mm-hmm. There was like a really special kind of sad moment where they finish watching the movie, they're recording like their conversation afterwards, and she asks her daughter like, "Who do you identify with?" Mm-hmm. Um, and the the daughter talked about the child who had like a lot of academic pressure put on them. It gets really emotional because like. Molly Ringwald doesn't realize that she's putting academic pressure on her daughter. And like, this is the character that this, that her daughter identifies with. And like, what a special Mm -hmm. moment for mother and child to Mm -hmm. like come together and be like, Oh, 
Let's talk about it. If you're identifying with Holden yeah. Caulfield, my son. Uh, like, yeah, no, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. To answer your, your question that you posed earlier, Nicole, like what what is the answer to this? And I think it is just like parent and child working through it together. She's like, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know why this author wrote it like this. Let's look it up together. Yeah, mm-hmm. it requires a lot of uh, of object objectivity. Um, and a lot of time and mm-hmm. a lot of parents don't have that kind of time. So yeah. this is also why we do rely on schools to help children with this too. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we're going to, if we're going to make it harder for teachers to be able to teach this, we're, we've hit a wall at that point. And mm-hmm. I think that because the best solution I do agree is to have the parent and the child read together or to talk about it with objectivity, with good faith that this book was written this way for a purpose, not just to indoctrinate a child into becoming a sexual heathen, Um, (laughs) you know? Um, And I don't, and getting to that point of having good faith about a book is also, I don't even know how to get to that journey because that's like, that's where we're starting, which seems so backwards to me. We're starting Mm -hmm. so far back on the path of like, where we really are thinking that these people are trying to brainwash. So if mm-hmm. we can get past that, then we can get to the objective. Let's talk about this book as a book, <laughs> as mm-hmm. just a story. Um, so yeah, so I don't even know how to get onto the path of talking about it as a book. And I think maybe hopefully these type of like things will help and podcasts will help and more people just talking about it. But if we're already in that place of fear and terror, it's just, it's really hard. And I also think that like, to bring it back to the book that we read, I think that Miles kind of also encapsulates this and this might be a reach, but he also mm-hmm. looks at things in that, in that this is a tool, this, like everything is a tool for him. Um, you can't just look at like these last words as like, that was just something that someone said, you know, mm-hmm. but everything is, is more important and more has more weight than it might actually have. And I do think some books like uh, Goosebumps Guy, he just was like, no, I just write books for writing books. There's no point to him. Like, I don't write Mm -hmm. these to educate or to change people's lives. It's just a book. And I wish we could get to that place. But Miles can't get to that place. And I think a lot of us high schoolers, we're trying to find meaning out of so many things that would kind of make it our identity. I mean, even, even the end of the book that Theodore brought up earlier was like, He's focusing on Thomas Edison's last words, which are, it's very beautiful over there. And that's like somehow how he like reconciles her death. Like he still can't just let it be. He still can't just let it be like she died. And now he has to miss her. Like that's not enough for him. He has to make it some romantic thing. And I do think that that trait carries on into these adulthood where we do think things are heavier or bigger or more calculated than they actually are. It's just life sometimes. This is just a book that John Green wrote. And he tried to tell the story the best he could. But I don't know how to get us to that point of just being okay that it's just a book, you know? Yeah. It's like art literacy, too. Oh, it's not just like, yeah. It's just literacy across the board, I think. <laughs> I think so. And even the ending, like I just wasn't satisfied with it because I didn't feel like he learned, like he just learned that he was alone in his grief. Like I was trying to figure out why I was like kind of annoyed by the ending when you first asked that question. And I just feel like 
he only realized that he was feeling his grief alone, but it didn't feel like he understood that it was about like that. I, I don't feel like he gave, he was still giving Alaska her dues of just being like, I miss her, my friend. It felt mm-hmm. like he was still looking for his great perhaps in, yeah. in her death now. Like he's now mm-hmm. just romanticizing her death in this like thing, which no, is that's, very that's teenage. That's actually a great word to bring up. Yeah. Yeah, like 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 the great perhaps is like his fatal flaw. Yes. You know. And I think that looking at anything as like you say like you know kind of through this very like objective truths that Miles is always searching for these kind of objective experiences like these or these ultimates that Miles is kind of achieving to like that is that is the flaw that a lot of us I feel like hold in our own yeah. lives in our own way that we perceive you know the things that are brought into our lives, and yes. I think that it's a perfect read on what's going on in this, in this, in this last kind of closing few pages. Um, yeah, there always needs to be this barrier between Miles and and maybe the less spectacular, the mundane kind of emotions that he's yeah. dealing with. Yeah, the mundane, you know. And I, I think that that's part of being a teenager. Yeah, sure. Yeah, maybe yeah. a little bit, but a hundred percent. I would like to return to being a little bit more like Miles in my adulthood. I think I could sprinkle that in hmm. and not make it my identity, but sprinkle it in and enjoy, you know, but mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. No, I think, just... I think, I think that's great. Yeah. He talks about that in this, in this essay too, like, uh, you know, teenagers are invincible and, you know, we are, you know, it's just kind of a silly, yeah. you know, like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> jump into the air, you know, yeah. no. but it is, it is totally true. It is totally true. I mean, yeah. these kind of feelings kind of evade you the older you get, the more, the more death becomes realized and actualized you know this is his first step in realizing i think that he is realizing thinking you're invincible is one of the first steps to realizing that you're not yeah you know yeah Um, because it all falls apart it all falls apart and then (laughs) then you get student loans and then it's just the worst and then you realize (laughs) no one will save you (laughs) no one will save you alaska's dead sorry yeah no one's gonna save you okay um all right, do we have any other thoughts? I want to let you go, Theodore, because we've kept you so long. Um, no, this has been great. I've yeah. loved. I've. You're so articulate and so intelligent, and I just love talking oh. to you. You really are one of my favorite people. I think about, and then I see you on Instagram. I'm like, thank you. Um, <laughs> no, this has been wonderful. I'm a, I love the pod too. I'm a huge pod listener, so this is a uh, yeah. I feel so very nice honored to you. be on this on this wonderful program you guys have. And yeah, just thank you, thank you so much. This has been great. Thank you. Thank really you. Really enjoyed this. Before we log off. Oh, wait. We also have to uh, guess why it's banned. Oh. What's that? We have to we guess should... why it was banned. But I think it's oh. <laughs> pretty evident. <laughs> I have an educated guess. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's yeah, I mean, the sex scene and the the language and the underage drinking and probably the, the car accident and the smoking. Possible suicide. Mm-hmm. Um. So um, the biggest challenges are because it is sexually explicit. And the second one is has LGBTQIA plus content. Oh, huh? I don't what? remember that at all. I don't remember that yeah. at all. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, not even once. Wait. No, I feel. What? Okay. Um, all huh. right. So no, this I'm is racking what, my brain. Okay. I don't remember I a single. <laughs> So, according to a Florida news outlet in 2022, um, a school board challenged the book because they said there are thousands of parents with high standards who try everything they can to make sure that their kids that 
that their kids don't have access to things that are encouraging them to go and have sex. <laughs> it's, it's just other things. And then, um, oh, it's so funny. Cause it's like, um, I don't remember anything, anything within the, yeah. Takumi and Pudge were like jokingly in the shower at one point, but it was like they were both fully clothed. And like I know, the curl made do, a tiny joke. But someone would have had to do a close read of that book. And I don't think that school board member was doing a close read. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's it's very confusing. It's very confusing. That's wild. Um, and, <laughs> um yeah, okay, what do you want to plug, Theodore? Yeah, uh, people can uh, find me, uh, my work on my website, theodore-wilkins.com, uh, or you can follow me on Instagram at dj underscore sees the means. Um, <laughs> but yeah, all my all my Honestly. stuff is there. And uh, yeah, come come chat, come hang out, come, yeah. Come, come be friends. And I'm just yeah. going to plug Theodore's writing. I've only read a little bit of your stuff. I think it was in, was it published in a, in a zine? I don't know, what. It, or did you make the zine? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I was running a zine for a little bit, and yeah. You published a piece about your evolution with love. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank I you. Thank you. I appreciate love... it. Yeah, that was in a wonderful magazine called Ouch, I think is, um, yeah, they're, they're actually run out of New York. They do great stuff. There are 12 issues coming out shortly, so go go, oh go check out gosh. Ouch, everyone. Well, it was a beautiful awesome. piece, so I Thank you. Was I like, really appreciate oh, that. Oh, my gosh. No, seriously, I want three more. More, more, and more. I know that <laughs> that pressure doesn't help, but um, no, no, thank you. But I thank do you. love your reading, reading your writing. Um, okay, Eden. Anything else? Uh, nothing else. Thank you so much for your time, Theodore. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Burn this book is produced by us, Nicola Corin and Eden Wen. Music by myself, Nicole, and performed by my dad. Frank.